Podcast number 40. Songs Through Time, Laura, 1944. In this group of podcasts titled Songs Through Time, I will analyze various songs from the Middle Ages to the present. Through analysis, we wish to see how songs have evolved and thereby influenced later generations. By studying their differences and their similarities, we can see the evolution of song through time. The first song I have chosen is the theme from the 1944 film noir movie, Laura. The 1940s was a period of great upheaval due to World War II and its aftermath. It was a period of the great bands and their singers, such as Frank Sinatra and Rosemary Clooney. It was a time that saw the evolution of bebop, rhythm and blues, and smaller instrumental combos, with such great musicians as Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, and Miles Davis, improvising in the jazz idiom and experimenting with new and very advanced ideas in harmony and melody. Also, Les Paul's experimentation with multi-track recording and advances on the electric guitar would have a profound effect on the way music is recorded and the guitar's influence on modern music. Also, in the early 40s, Charlie Christian's improvising in the style of a horn on the electric guitar, elevating its status to a solo instrument. The song Laura was written by David Raskin, for the 1944 movie of the same name. This movie had a profound effect on both the history of film and how a movie was scored. In most music for the movies, different themes are used to portray various characters, actions, and emotions. This technique is known as the light motif. It is the most commonly used of all techniques. Think of all the Star Wars themes. In regards to Laura, the only music we hear is the Laura theme in its original version and then altered to fit the emotions and actions of each scene through thematic, harmonic, and rhythmic variations, as well as orchestration. The overall effect is truly amazing in its ability to underscore the emotional content of each scene along with character development. Laura is 32 bars long, which is very normal for this time period, but not in the normal 32-bar song form, which is A-A-B-A, A being the verse, B being the bridge, all eight measures long. This architecture is very common throughout music history, especially in the 40s, 50s, and early 60s. Laura features two 16-bar sections. This is probably because the form suits the requirements of a movie theme rather than a popular song. There are lyrics by Johnny Mercer, not heard in the movie version, but in many recorded versions. Frank Sinatra, Julie London, both made incredible recordings of this song. Some of the best-known jazz versions are by Dave Brubeck, Charlie Parker. In fact, it has become a jazz standard with over 400 versions. This is truly one of the greatest of all movie themes. I do not want to break any copyright laws, so please listen to any of the recordings or watch the movie. I will play examples as we move through each section. Phrase 1. The song is in 4-4 four, four time. 
and it moves through different keys. The first phrase is four measures long. The harmony features the chords A minor 7, D7, flat 9, sharp 5, and G major 7. These are the 2-5-1 chords in the key of G major. A minor 7, D7, flat 9, sharp 5, G major 7. Notice the use of minor 7th, 7th flat 9, sharp 5, and a major 7th. These are extensions of the basic triads, adding varying degrees of color and tension. On the A minor, it adds a softer color by adding the minor 7th in. Let's compare. I will play an A minor and then an A minor 7th. A minor is the 2 chord in the key of G. Now, by adding the 7th on, we add color, but not really any more pull. But 2 does pull to 5. Now, the 5 chord is a D7, but here they add a lot more dissonance in by adding the sharp 5 and the flat 9. So D7, the 5 chord, pulls to the 1 chord, the G. But in this case, the pull is stronger and more dissonant, more tension, a much stronger pull to the 1 chord, the G. Let's listen to that now. I will play a plain 5 chord of D, then a D7, and then the D7 flat 9 sharp 5. Not only more dissonant, but much more added color. And now for the one chord, the G. I will play a plain G triad, and then I will add the major seventh in. Now, if you're not familiar with jazz, I would just like to mention that jazz keyboardists and guitarists will automatically add this in themselves, even if it's not written in the music. It is common practice to add extensions on the chords and also to superimpose other chords over the original chords. Let me give you an example. Let's say we see two measures of a G chord. Well, a jazz musician might do this. G major 7, A minor 7, B minor 7, back to the A minor 7. So you can see in that example, instead of the one chord for two measures, we've used the one chord, the two chord, and the three chord, all with sevenths added onto them. In Laura, we see that David Raskin already has done this. The origins of the use of these added note chords and extensions can be found in the impressionistic style of Debussy and Ravel. Now, let's look at the melody against these chords. Against the first chord, the A minor 7th, we hear the note B twice. That is the ninth, an expressive note, thereby creating an A minor 9th chord, setting the emotional tone of the work. An emotional beginning portraying the obsession with and the sensuality of Laura. The second chord, the D7, 
flat nine sharp five chord reflects and supports the melody notes A sharp, which is the sharp five, B, which is the 13th, F sharp in the chord, the third, and G, the fourth. So three of those notes are non-chord tones. For more on this, see my podcast on non-chord tones. But briefly, what happens is non-chord tones add varying degrees of tension and color. As you can hear with the second chord, we have both. We have a great deal of color and we have tension, which will pull us to the one chord, in this case, the G major seventh. Also to be noted before I talk about the G major seventh is the quarter note triplets, which act as a rhythmic motive appearing throughout the song. Against the G major seventh, we hear two notes, A and E. A is the ninth and E is the sixth respectively. Once again, non-triadic upper extensions. At the end of the first phrase, we hear four notes, B, D, E, G, which introduces the next phrase. These notes are the third, fifth, sixth, and root of the G chord. The second phrase. The second phrase also is four measures, but now we are in the key of F. The second phrase is a sequence, an exact sequence of the first phrase. In other words, one whole step lower. We move from the key of G major to F major with an unprepared modulation. There are many ways to move from one key to another through a modulation. In podcast 38, I talk about modulations. In this case, it's accomplished by changing a major chord to a minor chord. At the end of the first phrase, we have a G major chord, or G major seventh, for two measures. Now, without any preparation, such as a pivot chord, the chord changes from G major to G minor. Now, G minor is the two chord in the key of F. It creates both a smooth and an abrupt modulation with this clever chord change. I will play the chords of both sections. So what we have now is 2-5-1, A minor 7, D7, G in the key of G. Then the G turns into a G minor, which becomes the 2 chord in the key of F. And then we have the same exact progression, 2-5-1 in the key of F. Let's listen to that. So we have an exact sequence harmonically and melodically. There is a slight variation at the end of the second phrase, the last two measures, against the F major seventh chord. There's only one note held, the G, the ninth. Let's listen now. almost an exact sequence only differences in the melody 
Instead of three notes at the end of the phrase, there's only one note held, and the four-note run-up is left out. So to review a second, the first two phrases are basically the same. The second is the sequence of the first phrase. Now the third phrase harmonically is a sequence, but now the melody changes. We modulate into the key of E-flat major through the same method, the F at the end of the second phrase becomes now F minor, which is the two chord in the key of E flat. So Mr. Raskin has followed the same procedure to move through three keys, the key of G, the key of F, and now the key of E flat using the two, five, one progression. For the two chord, now we have F minor seventh. For the five chord, instead of the flat nine, sharp 5 chord, we have B flat 11 because in the melody will be an E flat, which is the 11th of the B flat 7 chord. And then we have E flat major 7th for two measures. The melody, though, is a little different. It is not a sequence, but it is reminiscent of the first two phrases due to the rhythmic similarities, especially the quarter note triplets, which we hear throughout the work. Now, let's listen to the first three phrases. Each one is four measures, and each one is in a different key. the third phrase, notice even though the chords are the same, the melody, although different, sounds so similar because of the rhythm, it fits perfectly with everything we've heard up to this point. the three notes at the end of the phrase which will lead us into the next phrase are the notes of the E flat chord E flat G and B flat now let's listen to the fourth phrase the fourth phrase is also four measures long. It returns us to the key of G major through the use of the same progression, two, five, one, as before. However, the A minor seven now becomes A minor seven flat five, reflecting the E flat in the melody. The E flat is the flat five of the A minor chord. We hear two E flat notes, then it moves down to an A flat, the flatted fifth of the D7 chord. This is held, and then it moves up to an A natural, the normal fifth of the D7 chord. And then in the third measure, against the G major seventh, we hear the note D, the fifth of the chord. So we are in the key of G major. In the fourth measure of this phrase, instead of the sixth chord, which would be an E minor chord in the key of G, it is transformed into an E7. This is known as a secondary dominant, very common in music. 
By changing a minor seventh to a dominant seventh, you are inferring that you are going to move into either the key of A or A minor or just to an A minor chord, which is the case here. Because E seventh is the five chord in the key of A or A minor. You are either modulating or inferring that you are modulating. I have a podcast dealing with dominant sevenths and also a podcast on modulations if you're interested. In this instance, the E7 is pulling us back to the beginning of the song, the first phrase, to the A minor 7. Against this chord, we hear the notes E, C, and D, reintroducing the opening melody. This is a perfect turnaround. Now we hear the first two phrases. We have returned to the beginning of the song with new lyrics. As you listen to different recordings, you will hear variations of meter, melody, and harmony due to the various interpretations by the different artists. As you listen to different recordings, you'll hear how arrangers and soloists approach a song with their own interpretations, especially in jazz. After this repetition of the first two phrases, four measures each, we enter the closing two phrases, also four measures each. The second to the last phrase starts off with the same F minor seventh chord we heard in the third phrase, leading us to think that maybe we're moving back, as we did before, into the key of E flat. However, now, instead of being the two chord in the key of E flat, it's the four minor seventh chord in the key of C. This is a common practice. Now, four pulls to five, so now four minor seventh will pull to G7, the five chord, and then to C. I will play it for you now. I will use F minor nine, which is an extension of the F minor, because the melody note is a G, the ninth, then the chord will move to G13 flat 9, and in the melody we will hear E, the 13th, F, the 7th, A flat, the flat 9, and then B, the 3rd, and then the C major 7, it will be D, C, D. That's the 9th, the root, and the 9th. Then in the 4th measure, we will hear two notes, B and C, against an A minor 7th chord. Please take notice how this melodic line moves up to the D, the second highest note in the song. This is a preparatory phrase for the climax, which appears in the last phrase of the song. Let's listen to this phrase. the rhythm reflects the first phrase, the first two notes, then the use of the quarter note triplet, the dotted quarter followed by an eighth. We have seen this often in the song where whenever the melody is changed, rhythmic motives create continuity. Now we have the climax of the song, the last four measures. First, I will play these last four.
first of all, you see we have the B and the C lead up to the E flat, the highest note of the song, against the D7 flat 9 chord. So we have dissonance, tension, and emotion all in one note. And then after the climax, the descent into calm. All the tension and emotion has been released. Also, most important is the fact that here in the lyrics we hear the name Laura. If you do watch the movie, you will notice how the climax comes at the very, very end of the movie. Raskin has mirrored this in the music. I hope you've enjoyed this analysis and possibly could use some of these techniques in your music. It is a beautifully constructed work moving through different keys, but always held together with melodic sequences, rhythmic and melodic motifs, and reliance of chord extensions with notes such as nines, flat nines, sharp fives, flat fives, to convey the emotion of the movie and the sensuality of Laura. Look for future podcasts where I will analyze songs from different centuries in order to highlight the similarities and the differences in the evolution of song. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Joe.